All right, so we are in 1 John. Uh, we're going to start uh, in the latter verses of chapter 2. And I didn't know it until I started studying, but there are some uh, verses here that are difficult. There are some verses that I don't like too much. Um, they're the same verses, uh, the ones that are difficult and the ones that I don't like. Um, for example, in this passage, there's a verse that says, uh, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning, and no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. By way of confession, I have kept on sinning uh, in various ways. Um, another verse says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Uh, these are verses I don't like particularly, but since we've committed to go through all the verses, we have to deal with them. So that's our task before us, and um, we'll jump on in, beginning with verse 28 of chapter 2. It says, Now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. This is John referring to Jesus. In verse 29, it says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So here we have a couple of concepts that are going to be themes of the verses. One is this idea of what does it mean to abide in him? What are the ramifications of abiding in him? Uh, and conversely, what are the issues if you don't abide in him? And then in verse 29, what connection is it between the righteousness of Christ and the righteousness of those that are children of Christ, those who have been born of Christ? And uh, John's going to develop that in the coming verses. But before that, in verse 1, he gets, it's seemingly, a bit overwhelmed with the very concept of being a child of God and what that means, and he just has to marvel at it. So in verse 1, he says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. What kind of love is it that we could be called the children of God? Apparently, this what kind of love phrase is, when it's used in the Bible, is always associated with astonishment and wonder. And it basically means, um, what country are you from? In other words, where's this idea coming from? Uh, literally, this is a concept not of this world. Uh, the idea that this is such an literally unearthly idea that he is just overwhelmed with amazement at what kind of love is it that we could be children of God. And he goes on and he's reflecting on what does it mean to be a child of God. He says in the latter part of verse 1, the reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Uh, it should be no surprise that Christians are thought of as being odd or confusing or that we are often misunderstood because they didn't get Jesus either. Uh, sometimes we might be the, the cause of that confusion, uh, but that wasn't the problem with Jesus. They just didn't get him. Um, and it's going to get worse. Uh, many of you have grown up in the generation um, of, uh, that started 
late 30s, 40s, 50s. And for most of your lives, you've lived an anomaly. Uh, this little slice of history, the last 60 or 70 years of history, is really unlike anything in the last 2,000 years when Christianity was somewhat considered normal, somewhat considered popular, somewhat considered right, um, somewhat considered acceptable, uh, perhaps even admirable. That has not been the case throughout history. Uh, this is weird, right? And if we think this is normal, which we are prone to do, we just have lost sight of history as where it's been, and we are definitely uh, confused as to where it's going. Uh, so where it's going is back to normal. It's going back to normal where Christianity is weird and where people are not going to know us, they're not going to get us to the extent to the extent that we are like Christ will be to the extent that they are confused by us. So, so our acceptance, our validity is never going to come from the world, right? That's the, that's the um, implication of, of that. Verse two, beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, and a very amazing phrase follows, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Wow. Uh, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Throughout scripture, we've seen people who have caught indirect evidences of God. Um, angel appearances, uh, mighty winds, um, you know, even Moses, who got the closest, could only see uh, the backside of God. Um, just being in the general presence of God left him with a holy sunburn that took a while to fade. <laughs> we will see him as he is. Crazy. There was one commentator told a story about a group of native translators where the, the, um, the Bible scholars working with the native translators, putting the Bible into their own language. And when they came across this, they just kind of put all the materials down and said, we can't write that. How about we just say, we'll be able to kiss his feet. That's as much as they could fathom. Um, but no, it says we will see him as he is. Just craziness. That's our hope, right? That we will see him as he is. But look at verse 3. What happens because of that hope? And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. This transitions, John. Uh, this is John's rather transition point connecting who we are as children of God with how we should act as children of God. Uh, and it says, if one day we're going to be like him, holy, blameless, pure, like Jesus, then we should get started with that, right? We should start to purify ourselves as he is pure. Now, 
there is a, a tension that you are probably already feeling because we know that we are far from pure. We know that we are far from holy. We know that we are far from where we will be one day. Um, we know that, that we can get right with God um, by confessing our sins. And, you know, I, we say it all the time, you know, Christians still need Jesus, right? Uh, Christians still need confession and repentance. We've already talked about that in uh, earlier, First um, John 1, um, uh, let's see, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that was written to Christians. So we know all this. But um, but we know we're not there yet. But it says if we hope in him, then we need to start that purification process. And um, this tension between God accepts me who, who I, as who I am. And he, when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. That's all in Romans, which we just got through studying with Pastor Bobby. Um, but we can lose sight of the fact that we still have work to do, right? God is still trying to sanctify us, to use a big word. He's still trying to uh, begin this process of perfection. He's not going to wait uh, until Jesus comes back. It's going to start now. And, and that's what this is referring to. And let me toss out one other concept that I think is good to, as you examine these following verses. One writer said that, John addresses four different groups of people in his letters. One group is fully assured Christians. You're a Christian, you know it, you're living like it, right? Number two, Christians who are struggling with assurance. Am I, am I really saved? Group three, falsely assured non-Christians. People who think by their actions, perhaps by their ancestry, perhaps by their geography, they may, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they may falsely assume that. Um, and therefore, and they have a false confidence. And then the fourth group, known non-Christians. Uh, so these are, People who, they know they're not Christians. Everybody else knows they're not Christians. They're not professing to be Christians. And he makes the point that it says, John especially has the third group in his sights here. His goal is to shock them and wake them up to their true spiritual status. So he's talking to this particular group of people who maybe have been claiming to be Christians, or maybe on whatever evidence. Uh, he's going to make the point that... Um, you really need to examine yourself if you're a Christian or not. And again, the background here is in these in in the days where where John was writing, um, the various early philosophical uh, beliefs that uh, you could kind of be a Christian in your head, and it didn't matter what you went what you did with your body, right? Um, what we now know as Gnosticism, this uh, 
elevation of knowledge above everything else wasn't really fully developed yet. That came about 100, 150 years later. But the earliest underpinnings were already starting to infiltrate the thinking of people. And uh, many commentators see some of John's writings uh, attacking some of those foundational beliefs that were starting to develop. Verse 4. This is where it just gets annoying. And by the way, there's some parallels here, which I'll bring out between verses 4, 5, and 6, and verses, um, I'm, I'm sorry, 4 through 7, and verses 8 through 10. There's some parallels, which I'll talk about. Verse 4, everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. So here we have a definition here, and I'll go ahead and, and call out um, several times in um, the ESV that I use and the New American Standard that many of you use, um, it says everyone who makes a practice of sinning, who practices lawlessness. One of the ways to, to properly understand these verses has to do with um, your core motivations, your core inclinations, um, and that's this practice of sin, sinning and practice, practicing lawlessness. This concept of sin is lawlessness, what you're basically saying is not, it's basically saying I reject God's law. I reject it. I reject his authority to even try to compel me by his law. He is not God to me. I have no reason to obey him. I'm, I'm outside of that. You're fine to, if you want to follow that philosophy, fine. But it simply doesn't apply to me. I am my own law. That's, that's the heart of sin, right? And if you think about it, every time we sin, we're basically saying, I'm choosing my ideas versus submitting to someone else's ideas, right? Sin is lawlessness. And if you think about it, this is a tougher definition. Historically, what have we been, what have we said that sin is? Missing the mark. You can miss the mark because of carelessness. You could miss the mark because of maybe bad influence or maybe you were tipsy. Maybe you were, who knows why? Oh, I just missed the mark. You know, I'm sorry, I just... That's not what sin is. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is saying, your law does not apply to me. You're literally saying, I'm an outlaw. That's a, that's, if you want to kind of re-up your definition of sin, uh, there's your, there's your verse. Verse five, you know, he appeared to take away sins. In him, there is no sin. Here's another little doctrinal statement. Why did Jesus come into the world? We're going to get a couple of answers in this passage, but one is he came to take away sins. That's one of the reasons he came. In him, there is no sin. Um, this hints at some really big doctrinal stuff, but we've been talking about the atonement. It's just kind of shown up several times, right? We've talked about the fact that 
one of the reasons that Christ could become the perfect atonement wasn't just that he was God, but that he was God who lived a sinful, I'm sorry, a sinless life while here on earth. It was his lived out righteousness that we could never do that made him the perfect sacrifice. So there's kind of a couple parts of why the atonement was so effective when John says, in him there is no sin. Now, verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So if you keep on sinning, you've not seen him, you've not known him. Verse 8, who makes this practice of sinning is of the devil. You've been sinning from the beginning. Um, so everyone who sins is the way verse um, 4 starts. Verse 8 says, everyone who makes a practice of sinning, everyone who does what is sinful. Um, we get this theme, you know, what is the nature of sin? We said that was lawlessness in verse 8. The nature of sin is, or at least the origin of sin, is the devil. In verse 5, we say, what's the purpose of Christ appearing? That he would take our sins away. Look what it says in verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So Jesus came to take away sins, and to destroy the works of the devil. That's why Jesus came. So what's the conclusion of this? Well, in verse 6, it says the conclusion is that if you abide in him, you can't keep on sinning. And that if you keep on sinning, you're not abiding in him. And verse 9 says... If you're that no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. He cannot keep on sinning because he's born of God. And again, the key is this practice of sinning, or practice of sinning. Well, it shows up the same phrase in, in verse um, 4 and in verse 9. Um, you know, what is it? What does that mean? Verse 10. By that, I'm sorry, by this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So we can look at this and and say, well, is this preaching a salvation by works? Is this preaching salvation by you know, that we can achieve righteousness by right living. Well, again, there are a couple of things, a couple of assumptions that I think we all collectively, certainly I think Dad and I have about Scripture. First of all, it is consistent with itself, right? It's not going to be contradictory with itself. And that's why the the phrase, um, 
let the Bible interpret itself, right? So if you have a, a passage uh, that, you know, has a hard saying like this one does, you have to bring that alongside other passages that might explain the topic from a different angle or more fully, and then you have to try to reconcile those things. So we know from other passages that, that you know, we can't even come to, to Christ without um, him giving us that faith, right? Um, by faith we have been saved, and that is a gift, right? So we have to wrestle with this. So one, one general concept, let me finish this thought. One general concept is that the Bible is consistent with itself and that um, the Bible should interpret itself. Therefore, it's not contradictory. But the second thing is, if we assume, and we should assume, that this, the Bible is God's revelation of himself to us, then he wants us to understand it and he wants us to be able to apply it. He wants us to be able to live by it. So the things the Bible says should work in life. They should be practical. They should be things that we can, we can use, right? Um, so in some ways, how do, you know, how do we use this? Um, I think that it's pretty clear that John's talking about an ideal situation, right? I think we can properly, as a way of interpreting this, say God is, uh, John is saying, here's the ideal. Ideally, to the extent that you're abiding in Christ, you're going to start to look more like Christ, right? And so this keeps in the forefront of your mind, um, I've got work to do, right? That every time I mess up, yes, I can deal with that, and God's gracious to forgive me of that, but it just shows me I need to, I need to stay more connected, right? Here's a more positive way to look at it, that, that every time I try to move closer in righteousness, because Jesus is righteousness, it gives me another way of understanding him better, another way of identifying with him better. He was ultimately righteous, so the more I progress in right living myself, I'm in a better position to understand who he is and why he acted the way he did. And so a little bit different positive spin, not just following rules I don't want to follow, but we talked about being in, in the light, you know, this gives me a chance to move into the light of Christ where I'm closer to him. I'm, I'm better able to see him and understand him and be like him, um, which might be obvious because now I'm moving away from sin, which would tend to cloud me and confuse me and make me more susceptible to the bad things the devil is up to. So John's talking about an ideal situation. Um, that's key number one. Number two, do, you, do I see a hand? <laughs> yeah. Well, go ahead, finish your notes. No, go ahead. Um, I just have a kind of a different perspective, and maybe some people here can relate to it. But when you're outside the true Christ, the true Christian faith, which I was as a Catholic, um, and if there are any Catholics here, I'm welcome to talk to them afterwards. Things. And we go into more depth on that. I hope to do that someday. Um, I'm working with a lot of Catholics with where we live. 
ex-Catholics too. Um, the biggest thing here is, and I, I think you can relate to this part, before we were Christians, even as children, some of you can relate to that way, we were all born into sin, right? I mean, we have that sin nature. I got grafted, if you will, into the tree of life, but I still have a lot of bad branches. And I think the, the thing here is not, I've made that commitment to Christ, to come into Christ as born again. So this is not dealing with salvation, obviously. And the biggest, biggest word I see here is practice. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, just like Irene's a piano teacher, you gotta practice a lot to get uh, accomplished at it. And the same thing with the, the gifts of the Spirit. As we learn about them, because I knew nothing about those. I know it's good to have joy, I know it's good to love people and stuff. That, that's basic stuff. But if you get a love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, those things in different levels we learn at different times. We're still on this journey as we allow the sap to grow in our life of Christ to get more into that stuff. I'm a holy tree that we've come into. We've still got a lot of dead roots. He's got a tree come off and stuff like this. That's part of the growth that I'm seeing here that he's talking about. That our sin nature is still with us and will be with us until we die. That's big. We're all going to be sinners. I think the amount of that decreases, I would hope, as we grow in Christ. But I find for myself it, it really has in some areas and some, some stuff, and you know, as as that old track from uh, Billy Graham talks about going, you know, you, you get this new house that you're into, you've been adopted into this family, so you take a kid, poor kid in Brazil slums, bring him into a rich house, he doesn't know how to use the toilet even. <laughs> I mean, it's just a case of all of us learning at different levels, in different ways, and also blessing each other. As you teach us and things like that, we learn things new. And, and I found throughout my life that these gift, the gift of the Spirit is what I think he's talking about here, too, in a way that we all grow differently, but we have to keep focused on that. You're going to make mistakes. Um, you're going to have fought failures at times, but you'll learn from those. And, sure. and that's, I think, what I'm seeing here. You practice it, getting practice, getting better at it. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think all that is true. As I said early that there were a couple of big themes, right, that show up in verses 28 and 29 of chapter 2, and that has to do with abiding and this concept of righteousness. And we've also talked about that um, That in First John, very often there are topics that uh, John wants to say more about later and show up in the Gospel of John. So just to, um, you can flip here if you want, but to the Gospel of John, chapter 15, he fleshes this concept out of abiding. And it keys in on some of the points that Dave was making. He says in verse 1, I'm the true vine, my father's a vine dresser. That's this pruning concept that he'll talk about. Every branch in me that doesn't bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I've spoken to you. In other words, there's some inherent righteousness that, but that God sees because of the applied righteousness of Christ. Verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, 
you can do nothing. And he goes on to develop this. So the big idea here is that if you're born of Christ, you should bear some reflection of Christ, Amen. right? Amen. Um, I don't know if you guys remember the old movie, um, Merritt and I Love Musicals. Um, we were flipping channels yesterday and came across the old musical, Seven Brides for Seven Brothers. You ever see that one? It's one of her favorites. Um, I had not, I've seen it maybe once or twice, um, but they all, all these guys have Bible names. We don't, learn, we don't ever see their parents. Uh, we, we learned in the, in the story that the dad, I think, a tree fell on him. We don't know what happened to the mom, but you got all these sons, um, and, uh, but they all have red hair. Every one of them, which I had never noticed before. <laughs> so I don't know anything about their parents, but I'm willing to bet that one of them had red hair. Possibly both of them, right? Because they reflect their parents. In this passage, John is saying, if you're a child of God, you need to reflect that. It needs to look that way, right? And to the extent that Jesus is righteous, you need to work on that too. And again, this concept is more fully developed in the gospel. But we don't want to get into um, works-based salvation, of course. But it does mean that we need to continue to take sin seriously. And that is not a popular stance nowadays, right? Um, We know that Jesus was said to have come in a spirit of grace and truth. And the message of Jesus always is going to properly have grace and truth. And we live in an age where perhaps to some degree is proper that, that the message of grace permeates everything, so much so that you, know, you can't step on anyone's toes. But without balance, it almost becomes false right? Grace without truth really isn't the kind of grace of the Bible. It's, you got to have both. And so what's that going to open us up to? Oh, well, you don't even live up to your own standard. You're a hypocrite. True. But now you're judging me by the Bible, which I'm okay with. That doesn't that doesn't undercut Christianity to say I'm a hypocrite. That doesn't, that doesn't bother God at all, right? Um, we need to continue to reflect really what he looks like, and that's, that's the, the, the message here. Um, I want to say a couple things about... Uh, Dad touched on recently... Uh, some of the cults that claim to be Christians. And uh, he's, he mentioned Jehovah's Witnesses, and he mentioned um, uh, Latter-day Saints. Um, what I'm fixing to say does, is not at all related to that. Um, I simply wanted to call out that within you know, our team, what we would call Protestant evangelical team, um, there are some differences with how we look, how we look on some of these concepts. Um, there are 
about a half a dozen Free Will Baptist churches in our area. I've got some patients that go there, wonderful, wonderful people, um, but they have some differences with us, right? I would happily call them brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Um, if you read what they believe about the Bible, it's it's exactly what I believe about the Bible. There are a couple of differences which I just want to call out, just kind of for education. We talk about two sacraments that we practice, baptism and the Lord's Supper. They have a third one. What is it? Foot washing. Foot washing. So Free Will Baptists are also called Foot Washing Baptists. Um, same initials. Um, and uh, which I have no problem with foot washing. Um, in fact, I wash feet pretty often at the office. Um, it's true. I do other things with feet too. <laughs> um, but uh, the other thing is... Um, they believe in um, conditional salvation. Uh, I'm not sure that that's the actual term they use, but the point is the free will, free, any, anyone is free to accept Christ, and they also believe anyone is free to fall away from Christ. And it's possible to backslide, as they would say, so far that you could actually lose your salvation. And this passage here um, it kind of brings into at least the conversation righteousness versus are you a child of God or not? And so uh, I want to be clear, just because I need to pursue righteousness does not mean that if I fail on that part that I'm not a Christian. And again, one of John's focus here is on this, what I was talking about, this group three, falsely assured non-Christians people who aren't Christians, but kind of thought they were. And um, uh, so, and, and again, even the, uh, the holiness view or the free will Baptist view, uh, where you, uh, they would say they do not believe in what we call eternal security, um, uh, they, uh, they would definitely be, you know, considered Christians. Um, in fact, they're, they're probably safer than they think they are. <laughs> um, but from a posture as far as pursuing righteous living they may say that I've got more work to do than they do and they might be right uh, because they would have maybe uh, a more a more uh, in front of their mind presence of are they pursuing holiness or not so I, I would um, I would certainly respect that angle um, all right we better stop any comments or questions all right, well, we've ranged all over the place. Dave, thank you for uh, teaching, and we'll put you down for uh, two weeks from now. <laughs> Let's close. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that uh, you give us things to wrestle with. We thank you for uh, John, who has introduced these topics to us, and that we can wrestle with them and, and, um, and, and reflect on the fact that, yes, we have received uh, what great love to become your children and how much more we should be um, uh, desirous of pursuing holiness in anticipation of that day when we can see you as you are. We thank you for Jesus in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody.